Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Well, over the last several years, I've had a pretty dramatic paradigm shift in my thinking and spiritual thinking and understanding God. Much of that has been by revelation from the Holy Spirit of Christ in me, showing me different things. And I've questioned some of my deeply held beliefs, not questioned my belief in God or my belief in Jesus, the Holy Spirit at all, but questioned some of the things that I've been taught in religious settings, as many of you all have too. One of the questions that I started having a few years ago was, well, can I really depend on what I read in the Bible as being true? Is the Bible inerrant? Is the Bible the Word of God? Is the Bible inspired? Is the Bible infallible? Those are deep questions that we have to ask. And for years, I wouldn't even ask those questions. As a matter of fact, I would get mad when somebody would raise those questions. Now, I've come to understand since then, by doing some study, a lot of study, and by listening to the Holy Spirit of Christ in me, that, of course, we don't have the original version of Scripture. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Koinonia Greek and in Aramaic, and we don't have any of those original copies. What we have now are translations of translations that have been handed down, and many times, well, virtually every time that someone translates the Bible or a group of people translate the Bible, they have what's called translator's bias. Greek words specifically can have many different meanings, and the translators, according to their theological bent, what they believe about God, pick and choose how to translate the original Greek words or the Hebrew words or the Aramaic words. So we get a lot of different translations. Now, I do believe that all Scripture was inspired by God and that people who heard from God wrote those down to begin with or, in the beginning, transferred them from generation to generation orally. I do believe that those were inspired by God, and people did the best they could with the understanding they had at the time of God in writing it down in their particular language of the day. But of course, we have what's called progressive revelation. Jesus himself said that nobody in the Old Testament times, clear up to when Jesus was here, he said not a single person has ever known God or Jesus. They had glimpses of God. They heard different things from God, but they didn't know God. They had no concept that God was their father, of course, and many people still don't have that concept. So even people who heard from God really didn't know God and in many cases didn't know how to interpret what God was saying to them. So I love Scripture. I have a high regard for Scripture. I do not believe 
at all that Scripture is the fourth person of the Trinity, as many people do, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Holy Scripture. I don't believe that at all. Scripture contains words written about God, but Scripture is not the capital W, Word of God. We know that from Scripture itself. John writes in the book of John, the Gospel of John, in the very first chapter, that the Word of God, Jesus, the Logos is the Greek word, the Word of God existed with God before creation. The Bible didn't exist with God before creation. Jesus is the living Word of God. And I totally believe that the living Word of God is infallible, inerrant, and inspired by God because it is God. It's Jesus. It's Christ living in us. So how do we read our Bible these days? I mean, how do we know which translation is a good one? How do we know what the original words meant? How do we know that they haven't been changed capriciously or arbitrarily by people who had different motives behind doing what they're doing? How do we know that we have anything that's accurate at all? Well, we can do some research. We have interlinear Bible studies. Now we can see what the original Greek and Hebrew meant and things like that. But the best way, the only infallible way, if you will, is to listen to the teacher, capital T, Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us. So as we get to know Christ in us more and more, get to know his voice and hear his voice and listen to him and trust him, he will explain us what scripture means, what he wants scripture to mean to us at any given time in any given place. One of the things that's really helped me recently is anytime I see the word God or Lord, or Yahweh, or the personal pronouns capitalized, he or him, I've been substituting that with perfect love. Because we know, of course, God is perfect. We know God is love. God is perfect love. And so what I've been doing is whenever I see the word Lord, or God, Jehovah, whatever, I will substitute perfect love for that, and then read what it says, And then the Holy Spirit will show me whether or not perfect love could have meant what I'm reading or could have done what Scripture says God, Yahweh, Jehovah, whatever did. That's a very good way to find out because we know that uh, we know that from Scripture, from the New Testament, Jesus is the exact representation of God and that God, as Hebrews 1 tells us, that in the old days, God spoke through prophets and different writers and things, but now he speaks to us through Jesus himself, the exact representation to God. So I want to do that exercise today with you all as we look at an Old Testament scripture that many of you are familiar with, Psalm 139. This was written by King David. I'm going to use the Passion Translation, which is a very good translation. It only contains the New Testament Psalms and Proverbs, but it's excellent, particularly it incorporates a lot of the Aramaic in its translation, which is what Jesus and the disciples spoke, of course. Okay, in the Passion Translation, the headline is, quote, you know all about me, in quotes. All right, here's what King David wrote. And again, when it says Lord or you or him, I'm going to substitute perfect love as we look at this. Okay, perfect love. You know everything there is to know about me. Now, let me just stop after that one sentence. If you knew there was someone who was perfect and knew 
everything about you, everything you've ever done, ever thought you've ever had, would you be afraid? Well, not if that entity, that person is perfect love. You won't be afraid because perfect love just eliminates, does away with all fear because fear comes from fear of judgment and punishment, as we know from First John 4. All right. Perfect love. You know everything there is to know about me. Perfect love. You perceive every movement of my heart and soul. And you, perfect love, understand my every thought before it even enters my mind. Perfect love, you are so intimately aware of me, you read my heart like an open book, and you know all the words I'm about to speak before I even start a sentence. Wow. Perfect love, you know every step I will take before my journey even begins. Perfect love, you've gone into my future to prepare the way, and in kindness, perfect love, you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. With your hand of perfect love upon my life, you impart a blessing to me. This is just too wonderful, too deep, and too incomprehensible, exclamation point. Perfect love, your understanding of me brings wonder and strength. No fear. Perfect love, where could I go from your spirit? Perfect love, where could I run and hide from your face? We know that God is omnipresent, is everywhere present. David knew that when he wrote that. So he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I run and hide from your face? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the realm of the dead, now, here's another way in helping us read our Bibles. The King James incorrectly translates the word Sheol in the Old Testament as hell. In the Old Testament time, the Jews had absolutely no concept of hell. The word was Sheol in Hebrew. It literally meant the place of the dead, both the righteous and the unrighteous. And David said, if I go down to the realm of the dead, Sheol, you are there too. If I fly with wings into the shining dawn, you're there. If I fly into the radiant sunset, you, perfect love, you're there waiting. Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Perfect love, your strength will empower me. Verse 11, he says, perfect love, it's impossible to disappear from you or to ask the darkness to hide me. For your presence, perfect love, is everywhere, bringing light into my night. And we know now from quantum physics, of course, that God is the source, the matrix, the ether. God is everywhere, in everything, in between everything, holding everything together. God's presence, perfect love, is everywhere, bringing light into our night. Verse 12, he says, perfect love, there's no such thing as darkness with you. The night to you is as bright as the day. There's no difference between the two. Perfect love, you form my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside, and wove them all together in my mother's womb. Now, I'm going to get to a point that is really helpful and illustrates how we can read our Bible today. This, I believe, is a very good translation of the whole chapter, but particularly that verse 13. You, perfect love, formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside, and wove them all together in my mother's womb. Now, most of us have heard a different version of that. Many contemporary translations, and I'll start with contemporary by going back to the King James in the 1600s, but 
many of them say in some form or another, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I could never comprehend that because fearfully and wonderfully just don't go together. And I can remember asking questions about that. People say, oh, we don't ask those questions. (laughs) The Passion Translations has a footnote after the word knit. The Hebrew word for knit or wove, can also be translated to cover or to defend. And Brian Simmons, the translator, says, God places an eternal spirit inside the conceived child within the womb of a mother and covers that life, sends the child a guardian angel, and watches over him or her. Now, I'm going to go on and come back to that in just a minute. Verse 14, David says, I thank you, perfect love, for making me so mysteriously complex. That's where we hear the fearfully and wonderfully made. The Hebrew word, which is easy to find this now in interlinear Bibles, free online software, the Hebrew word is yare, Y-A-R-A, which can mean to fear, but it also means to revere, to stand in awe of, to be awed, to have reverence, to honor, to respect, to cause astonishment and awe, to inspire reverence. See, it has all of those possible definitions as it was used in the Hebrew. One of those is to fear. All the others are to revere, to be astonished, to be awed, to honor and respect in something. So translators who have had a bent for believing that You need to fear God because God is fearful and he's always watching you and he's going to get you if you don't do it right. Have translated, I was fearfully and wonderfully made. That's not it at all. Not at all. It's actually, as Brian Simmons translates it, I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. So how do we read our Bibles? Anytime we see something that doesn't make sense, even though we've been told by religious experts that this is the way it is, we need to stop. We need to do our homework. We need to look it up. We need to research it, if that kind of thing is important to you. And most especially, we need to ask the Holy Spirit inside of us, oh, God, do I need to fear you because you've made me? No. No, I made you mysteriously complex. I didn't make you in any way to need to fear me. So, When we see something that just doesn't make sense, set it aside. Do our homework. Find out about it. If we can't find out about it, just leave it set aside. Don't make a doctrine out of it. And know that Jesus would never, ever try to get somebody to be afraid of God, especially, well, in any way, but especially in how God made us in our mother's wombs. That was a sacred, special, wonderful thing not to be feared at all. So if this kind of thing is important to you, do the research, but most especially Listen to the Holy Spirit of Christ in you. We're going to go on now in Psalm 139. Everything you, perfect love, do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it. Everything you do, perfect love, is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it. Everything perfect love does. Perfect love doesn't do bad things. Perfect love doesn't torture. Perfect love doesn't torment. We know that exactly, very plainly, in 1 John 4, where 
John says, God is love, perfect love, and perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment and torment. And there is no fear in perfect love. All right. Verse 15, you, perfect love, even formed every bone in my body when you, perfect love, created me in the secret place, carefully, skillfully shaping me from nothing to something. You, perfect love, saw who you created me to be before I became me, before I'd ever seen the light of day. The number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. Every single moment, now think about this, every single moment, you, perfect love, God, are thinking of me. That's true for you. Did you know that? How precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Now listen to that. Perfect love, God, thinks about you every single moment and doesn't think badly about you. He cherishes you constantly in his every thought. Oh, God, perfect love, your desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. When I wake each morning, you, perfect love, are still with me. Those are the first 18 verses of Psalm 139. Those are absolutely amazing grace, perfect love, unconditional verses about the goodness of God, the total goodness of God. Now, David, the writer, it's like he has something bad to eat or drink, or he looks in the mirror and he's got a bad hair day, and he totally changes focus here. Listen to what he says. Oh, God, come and slay those bloodthirsty, murderous men, exclamation point. For I cry out, depart from me, you wicked ones. See how they blaspheme your sacred name and lift up themselves against you, but all in vain. Lord, can't you see how I despise those who despise you? For I grieve when I see them. When I see them rise up against you, I have nothing but complete hatred and disgust for them. They're your enemies, God. Your enemies shall be my enemies. Implication, God hates and disgusts them. All right, when we see something like that in Scripture, what do we do with it? Well, I'll tell you for sure, don't make a doctrine out of it. At least have the... (laughs) I'm trying to choose the right word here. At least have the... uh, at least go on and look at what the rest of the passage says. Because it's like after he says that, and we all do this. We relate to God. We hear from God. We love God. We know how good God is. But just like that, our mind can start to go into bad things and thinking bad things about people and thinking God hates people and stuff like that. We can revert to that because we have evil that tempts us to do that. But it's like David has an aha moment here. And it's like perfect love. The Holy Spirit speaks to David, and David goes, oh, you love them too? You don't hate and despise them? You don't disgust them? You actually love them and pray for them and serve them and do good for them? Ah! So he goes on. Then, verse 23, he changes his tune again. He says, perfect love. I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Know my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. See if there's any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious everlasting ways. The path that brings me back to you. 
All right. When we look at that, it makes me think of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. The Amplified Version says this in 1 Corinthians 13 towards the end. For now, in this time of imperfection, we see in a mirror dimly a blurred reflection, a riddle, an enigma. But then, when the time of perfection comes— when we know perfect love perfectly, we will see reality face to face. Now, Paul, who wrote this, says, now I know in part, just in fragments, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known by God. Paul says a day will come. Right now, I don't know it all. I just see it dimly. It's like looking in a mirror and getting a bad reflection. But he says, one day I will know fully, just as I have been fully known by God. The NIV translates that this way. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So we go back to what David said in Psalm 139. Perfect love, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. See if there's any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious everlasting ways, the path that brings me back to you. He's saying, know my heart, God. And then Paul later tells us, God knows our heart for sure. And one day we will know exactly what God sees. I want to go to this knowing what God is like here for another minute in closing. Jesus' words from Matthew 5, 42 to 48. Jesus, is, is, he's come to reveal the Father. He's come to show people that God's not like they thought he was. He doesn't have enemies. He doesn't hate enemies. He doesn't persecute enemies. He doesn't cause bad things to happen to him. He doesn't torture them and punish them. He even talks about their scripture here, the Hebrew scripture, Matthew 5, 43 to 48. He says, your ancestors, the Hebrews, have been taught, love your neighbors and hate the one who hates you. However, I say to you, love your enemy, bless the one who curses you, do something wonderful for the one who hates you, and respond to the very ones who persecute you by praying for them, for that will reveal your identity as children of your heavenly Father. He is kind to all by bringing the kind to all, get that now, he's kind to all by bringing the sunrise to warm and rainfall to refresh, whether a person does what's good or evil. What reward do you deserve if you only love the lovable? Don't even the tax collectors, the worst people of the day, do that? How are you any different from others if you limit your kindness only to your friends? Don't even the ungodly do that? And then here's the kicker. He says, since you are children of a perfect father in heaven, since you are children of perfect love, you are to be perfect like him. What is perfect love like? Perfect love, according to Jesus, in these words, loves those who think he's their enemy or they're his enemy. He blesses those who curse him. He does something wonderful for those who hate him. He responds to the very ones who persecute him by praying for them, as Jesus did at the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's what Jesus says reveals your identity as children of the Father, because that's what the Father, who is perfect love, that's what he 
is like. So in reading Scripture, it's paramount to know that God, our Father, everyone's Father, is perfect love. And He is in us and with us and wants to live as us. And a huge part of what He does is reveal to us what words about God mean, and he's the one who can do it because he is the living Word of God. Hope this is helpful, everybody. Thanks for being with me. I'll see you next time on Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.